Hello, and welcome to episode 58 of the Reconomy podcast, where we discuss economic issues that impact real estate, housing, and affordability. I am Odetta Kushi, Deputy Chief Economist at First American, and here with me is Mark Fleming, Chief Economist at First American. Hi, Odetta. Guess what? We have a guest on the show today. Joining us is Xander Snyder, First American Senior Commercial Real Estate Economist to discuss trends in the commercial real estate market. Are we excited? And this, (laughs) I am. And this is his first time on the podcast, but certainly not the last. And I would also point out, not the first time on a podcast. Welcome, Xander. Thanks so much. Hi, Mark. Hi, Odetta. Excited to join you both on Reconomy today. Welcome, Xander. Now, as our regular listeners know, we tend to focus on economic trends that affect residential housing, which was meaningfully impacted by the pandemic. But housing hasn't been the only type of real estate impacted by the pandemic. And you have the job of tracking what's going on in all commercial real estate asset classes, office, retail, multifamily, industrial, and I could go on. But I think we're just going to cover one asset class in particular today, right, Xander? That's right, Odetta. Office buildings in particular have been really impacted by the broad adoption of remote work technology and culture. So consequently, residential space has become a substitute good of sorts for office space since both office and residential space can now be used in similar ways, and that is to do work. Hold on, hold on. I just got to say, the voice. The voice? (laughs) I mean... You are made for this stuff. It's a podcast voice, for sure. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And wait a second. We can't just throw out phrases like substitute good without an explanation. Please explain your jargon, Xander. What would a good econ podcast be without some good econ jargon? So, okay, a substitute good or service is something that can be used in place of some other good or service. So before the pandemic, in the case of office space, there weren't many available substitutes for office space since the vast majority of people didn't work remotely. Now though, many people work from home and it seems highly likely that at the very least, hybrid work remains a feature of our work culture for the foreseeable future. This has decreased the demand for office space and increased the demand for residential space since residential space can now be used as a substitute for office space. Ah, yes, a substitute. So my spare bedroom, gym, TV room, office from which I'm doing this podcast episode, so many substitutions. So many substitutions. That makes sense. More people want to work remotely now than pre-pandemic. I'm looking at the both of you from a screen right now, so certainly the three of us fall into the work from home category. And that ability to work from home has increased the demand for residential space, which now has this dual or more use. But how much has that demand shifted? Is there a way to measure how much people are substituting residential space for office space? Well, one way would be to measure how vacant or how underused office space currently is. Since the outbreak of the pandemic, there is a data vendor called Castle Systems that has emerged as sort of the go-to source for physical office occupancy. And they collect data based on card swipes. So you go into an office building, you swipe your card to get in, and they use those card swipe data. They use that card swipe data to calculate the current physical occupancy of office buildings. And then they compare that number to pre-pandemic benchmark rates. So more simply, Castle is measuring how much emptier office buildings are today than they used to be. I guess that really raises the question of, well, how empty are they? Right. Castle Systems 
publishes data on 10 different cities. And the average across those cities in the latest reading for the week ending February 1st was 46%. So that means that office buildings are less than half as occupied as they were pre-pandemic. It's still a fairly substantial number. Wow, tough not to see the glass half empty with numbers like that, huh? Ooh, ooh, I think my bad jokes are finally rubbing off on you, Odetta. Much to my dismay, yes. <laughs> so over 50% emptier than pre-pandemic, how does that compare to trends through 2022? As it turns out, the, the prior release of Castle's data, so for the week ending January 25th of this year, was the first time that average physical occupancy in these 10 cities climbed above 50% and since fallen down to 46%. But it was above 50%. Uh, for the first time since the onset of the pandemic. So some people were looking at that number and were treating this return to 50% as a milestone of sorts, saying, you know, perhaps the tide might finally be turning in favor of employers and the return to office push. But even 50% occupancy leaves a big open question mark for what happens with that other 50% of unoccupied office space. Right. So Office buildings are certainly emptier than they were, but different things can contribute to office physical vacancy, right? For example, I can imagine two situations that could lead to higher physical vacancy rates. A tenant might have a lease that doesn't expire for another two years, but their employees are working remotely. I think that's sort of what we think of it as. Um, that would result in leased office space being underutilized as measured by this data. But a decrease in physical occupancy can also be caused by tenants letting their leases expire which would result in truly empty offices and a higher leased vacancy rate as well as physical vacancy rate. Do we have a sense of what portion of physical vacancy rates are in offices due to underutilization of the space as compared to literally not leasing the space? Yeah, that really is the crux of the question. We try to measure that underutilization to get a sense of how much vacant office space is, quote, in the shadows, uh, which could hit the market as more leases expire. So the result of this metric we call the U shadow vacancy rate. And here the U, just the letter U, stands for underutilization. So the U shadow vacancy rate tells us how much of the decrease in office physical occupancy, as reported by Castle, is due to underutilization of space as opposed to those lease expirations. Um, it's calculated as... Hang on, hang on. Before we get into any fancy math, maybe we should first mention why we call it shadow vacancy in the first place and where that term come from, comes from. Uh, yes, definitely, without a shadow of a doubt. Ooh, Xander, it didn't take you long to pick up on Mark's humor. <laughs> uh, are we all doing a collective eye roll, roll right now? Yep. Yes, yeah, so this, we are indeed. So this idea of shadow vacancy is borrowed from the phrase shadow inventory, which was a term used regularly during the great financial crisis, particularly between 2008 and nine, to describe homes that were not yet listed for sale, but that would be in the near future. For example, bank-owned homes, homes in the process of foreclosure, or homes that were soon to be vacated. That's what was meant by shadow inventory that which hasn't yet hit the market, so it isn't fully reflected in some of the more traditional metrics used to measure housing supply. Okay, so using that logic, we could say that for office building, shadow vacancy refers to space that isn't vacated yet, but is likely going to be soon. Is that correct? Yes, that's exactly right. Now, it's, it's worth mentioning that shadow vacancy already has a specific meaning in the world of commercial real estate jargon. So traditionally, shadow vacancy refers to the difference in what's called the availability rate. 
and the vacancy rate for a, a building. And the vacancy rate is just the percentage of unleased square footage in a building. And the availability rate is this vacancy rate, so all vacant square footage plus any other square footage in the building that's listed for sublease or sale or is about to be vacated by a tenant with an expiring lease. So essentially, the availability rate is a measure of total rentable space in a building, whereas the vacancy rate only captures unleased space in a building. And shadow vacancy is traditionally, uh, when, when traditionally used, means the difference between these two metrics. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. So shadow vacancy in the traditional sense means the difference between the total rentable square foot and the total leased square feet. That seems a little different uh, from the concept of underutilization that we mentioned a couple minutes ago. That's right. So since the phrase shadow vacancy already exists and is used to describe what's a fairly common situation in the world of commercial real estate, we wanted to uh, measure and differentiate uh, the underutilization of office space, hence the U in U shadow vacancy. All right, so now we've got a handle on the distinction and why the name. You may now proceed with the math. Yes, the fun part. Fun for some. S U M. Get it? <laughs> some. Somewhat. And anybody? Bueller? Oh, I get it. <laughs> wow. Took me a Bueller? second. <laughs> Right. So to calculate U-shadow vacancy rates, we first measure the difference in availability rates between the fourth quarter of 2019 and today. So we take some pre-pandemic benchmark and measure the change. That measures how much leased, subleased, and for sale space has changed over the last several years. We subtract this change in availability rate from the current physical vacancy rates published by Castle Systems. The result is the amount of empty space that is directly related to underutilization rather than leasing or sales activity. So we call that the U-shadow vacancy rate. Okay, I think I follow here, but there are a few moving parts. Can you give us an example of how to calculate U-shadow vacancy for a city and what it implies for the office supply in that market? Sure. Let's look at Austin, which has the highest physical occupancy rate out of the 10 cities covered by Castle at about 40%. Since the fourth quarter of 2019, the availability rate in Austin increased by 7%. So that implies a 33%, that's 40% minus 7%. So it implies that 33% of the decline in physical occupancy in Austin is due to underutilization of space and is therefore, quote, you shadow vacant, space that will likely come to market in the future either as a sublease, lease, or sale. Okay, so now that we know what U-shadow vacancy is, let's see how it compares across markets. And if you're a fan of charts like I am, you can check out Xander's Twitter. It's at XanderSnyderX, where he has published the latest chart. You can also visit our website at uh, firstam.com economics to learn more about U-shadow vacancy rates. Okay, so the U-shadow vacancy is currently highest in San Jose at 61%, and the lowest, as Xander just mentioned, in Austin at around 33%. Cities in Texas tend to have lower U-shadow vacancy rates than coastal cities, which implies that in the least empty markets, nearly a third of existing inventory is still going unused or underused. So what's going to come of all of that underutilized office space when office leases expire? I think that's the question everyone in the market's really asking themselves right now. Higher quality Class A office buildings, especially new and best-in-market assets, 
will have a better chance to weather the new workplace reality. Class A properties are able to offer the sorts of amenities that tenants and tenants' employees want, whereas older buildings, such as Class B and Class C offices, might not be able to. So what's going to happen to this space? Some office-to-apartment conversions are happening, and in fact, there's a, a private equity company called Silverstein Group. They're a New York-based developer, and they just raised a billion-and-a-half-dollar fund dedicated to doing exactly this, office-to-apartment conversions. But these sorts of conversions are costly, and often the investment doesn't work out for developers unless they can buy the office building at a steeper discount than the current Class B or Class C office owners may be willing to accept. So I, I get it that office to apartment conversions are happening, but there are meaningful barriers to them happening at a great enough scale to really make a big difference. Seems like that still leaves a fair amount of ambiguity in office's future, especially for those Class B and C buildings. It's certainly an asset class we'll be keeping our eyes on as the year progresses. All right, well, that's all the time we've got for today. To our listeners, if you want up-to-date information on what's going on in commercial real estate, I highly suggest giving Xander a follow on his Twitter or LinkedIn. He also regularly publishes blog posts on our Economic Center. So Xander, thank you so much for joining us today on the Reconomy podcast. Thanks, Xander. See you back again soon. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And thank you all for joining us on this episode of the Reconomy podcast. If you have an economics-related question you'd like us to feature on a future episode, you can email us at economics at firstam.com. We love to hear from our listeners. And as always, if you can't wait for the next episode, you can follow us on Twitter. It's at Odetokushi for me, at mflamingecon for Mark, and at Xander Snyder X for Xander. Until next time. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Reconomy Podcast from First American. We're pleased to offer you even more economic content at firstam.com economics. This episode is copyright 2023 by First American Financial Corporation. All rights reserved.